Hey everybody, Steel again. I've got a conversation with Dominic Knowles for you. They are a poetry editor for Protean, and they've got a book out called Stanzas for Four Hands with Matilda Cullen. Uh, the link to that is in the description. You can follow them on Twitter at Multiworld. Hey, okay, I think this is better. Okay, perfect. Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so uh, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Meantime. Thank you so much. I'm so I'm so stoked to be here. Yeah how uh, how are things going? How's how's your day going? Oh, it's fine. I showered in the morning, <laughs> first time in like weeks. Not that I, I mean I shower at night usually. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah, that's a big. It's like you know how um, I don't know if this applies to you, but like if I take a shower before I brush my teeth, that's like a sign that like my mental health is in the trash can. But if I you know, brush my teeth before I take a shower, that's like a sign that I'm doing okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. No, I don't think that that uh, sequence really has much. I've never <laughs> noticed anyway that it has any uh, bearing on my on my <laughs> mental health. That's that's probably good. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. So well, um, I'm glad you glad you agreed to come on and uh, and chat. I uh, when I messaged you about like what we might chat about and stuff, I I know I said that we probably talk about art and poetry and and all of that um what have you what have you been working on art wise lately yeah so um so not a ton of you know creative stuff going on right now because i'm doing the last chapter of my dissertation um oh yeah so i'm reading a lot about el salvador and the salvadoran civil war um and basically all the like dumb americans that tried to go there and like you know bring the tragedy to like a u.s audience and the way that that is you know basically doing colonialism but in verse mm. um and uh so so i'm writing about carolyn forche um right now and um she she just became the um the new chancellor of the academy of american poets uh, okay. so i didn't plan it like that it just kind of happened while i was you know doing preliminary research mm. um i don't know if you like have you read her stuff i think so no yeah, I mean, I I I wouldn't really recommend it. Um, <laughs> um, it's it's like very much like so. So let me put it like this: she wrote a memoir about her time, yeah, like as like a human rights activist, um, you know, in in like nineteen eighty and eighty one, mm -hmm. um, and it's basically like here's why like I am so crucial to the struggle of the Salvadoran people and here are all the people that I've met and how much they loved me and I was asked personally because I'm a poet to go to El Salvador <laughs> and write about this this is how the whole memoir is structured being <laughs> like you know led around to different you know kind of shanty towns like inhabited you know by campesinos um, and then also, you know, talking to the high government officials and getting like the the good dirt on, you know, the genocide, you know, of peasants. Um, and it's just very, very embarrassing. And um, <laughs> the poems she wrote came out, you know, in the early 80s, but this memoir is from 2019. So she had like 30 years to reflect and regather and oh, you know, wow. situation, but it's still just as bad. So that's what we're working on right now. Poets. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you're working, working on your dissertation. Um, what, and, and what, are, what, else, what's the, man, I am really fucking bad at hosting a podcast. Sometimes, <laughs> I, forget, sometimes I don't know what, I, what, what the okay. fuck I'm talking about. Um, so tell, tell me more about like what, what your dissertation is on. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically just a broader version of what I just said for the most part where I look at kind of the history of like, you know, left liberal poets, some more radical than others, but like a wide variety of people like Charles Olson, who's not really considered to be like a leftist poet, but was kind of a leftist himself. Um, then I, you know, talk about Lawrence Berlinghetti and Amiri Baraka and the Cuban Revolution. Um, then I talk about Walter Lowenfels in my third chapter um, and the coup in Chile. And then the last one's on Forche. Um, and I think I'm the nicest to Lowenfels um, you know, and, and Baraka, um, because oh, yeah. had like, you know, actual good Marxist politics, <laughs> <laughs> really were true believers, um, and, you know, went to help, you know, struggles in a you know, kind of meaningful way, or, you know, in Lowenfels's case, didn't go, 
but was so committed to the struggle in the United States to liberate colonized people, you know, and oppressed people that he kind of, you know, demonstrates like a revolutionary ethic of, you know, defeatism, you know, in the home country that's mm. doing the actual violence abroad. Right. No, that's interesting. That's cool. Um, yeah. How, I, I guess the other, the other side of the dissertation other than the content of it is also the uh, probably exhaustion and stress of writing it. How's, yeah. how's that side of it going? So, I mean, very poorly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually, I mean, like I tell this to people who are considering going to grad school, you know, you know, whether they're my students or just friends of mine or whatever, like the bottom drops out, like the institutional mm. bottom. You get to the point where you're done with coursework and you're done with all the kind of, you know, bureaucratic hoops you have to jump through and the boxes you have to tick. And then it's just you, sometimes your advisor, maybe a second reader who pops up every once in a while, a third reader, if you're extremely lucky, <laughs> will like be with you, you know, more kind of you know, early on in the process. Um, but it's pretty much just you and a computer and a bunch of fucking books. <laughs> and you have to just make uh, like like a book yeah of what you're doing and it was especially weird in the pandemic because all of the archives were closed um i had to wait like three or four months to get you know kind of um you know copies that were digitized you know of the you know kind of stuff that i needed because it wasn't published um and i'm very very grateful to the labor of the librarians that you know work at like you know the yale library and stuff like that because uh, they're, you know, they were working pretty much full time for the pandemic. Um, but it still sucks because the university that I work for does not care that I have to wait three months to get the materials I need. I'm still yeah. on schedule and I still don't have any funding anymore. So now I have to work. Yeah, no, that sounds like a hellish process uh, <laughs> that I'm glad not to be glad not to be going through myself. Um, yeah. But what are you doing? So I, I mean, you're you're working on this dissertation, which, um, like, thinking in the context of, uh, you know, this 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 podcast, this conversations with radicals who are fighting for a better world and trying to figure out how to be in the meantime. Um, yeah. And you're, you know, your dissertation, you're contributing to Marxist scholarship. You're you're, um, you know, advancing that uh, that better future. Uh, in in the academic realm um and how are you what, how do you deal with like the 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 stresses and and all of that how are you uh making it through uh that very uh yeah stressful process yeah well i mean i don't that that's very kind of you to say that you know anything i'm writing is contributing <laughs> to the um uh but i kind of think of the um the stuff that i'm doing I don't want to say on the side, but like, you know, in addition to the actual writing process, like mm -hmm. I don't get my writing process to um, really be that, that important um, to mm -hmm. struggle, but like, so I'm teaching, you know, a labor, you know, history course right now, you know, at UMass mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, UMass uh, in Boston is uh, a mostly, you know, working class, you know, college. Um, it's, you know, I'm not sure what the exact numbers are, but there are a lot of, you know, people of color and, you know, black students from the Dorchester area. And so teaching them compared to the places that I've taught before, which were like kind of private university stuff, um, it's, it's incredible to see how much more meaningful uh, the, you know, radical texts are in a space where there's an actual, you know, working class, you know, contingent mm. in the classroom. Um, and one of the great things about UMass Boston, and it's really, this is the first time I've ever said anything nice about a university, so, <laughs> um, uh, is that, you know, their labor studies department really works with the community. So there's always, you know, workers coming in and out from various, um, you know, restaurants and, you know, um, uh, you know, other service industry or gig economy things. Um, and they come into our department and we can help them, you know, unionize, we can help them do that stuff. So I'm still new to the department, so I don't do a ton of that stuff, but a lot of the, you know, tenured, um, you know, very established, you know, professors still engage in that kind of work. And so mm -hmm. I think that that's very cool. So it's nice to be a part of that in a small way. Oh, that's, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's cool to be able to, yeah, connect, connect all of those, uh, 
those things to your scholarship or connect your scholarship to the real world a little bit. Um, and yeah, um, are you writing any poetry lately? So, I, you know, my notes app has been, you know, getting busted out every once in a while. Um, I'm, I am trying to like, I'm trying to work through some of the stuff that I think you and I have talked about like a lot before, but just the kind of like uselessness of the practice, the way that it, you know, can be kind of spiritually fulfilling in a personal sense. Mm. But how, you know, when you're done and you're like, oh, fuck, I wrote like a good poem. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, okay, so what now? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I've been reading a lot of guerrilla poetry. Um, so to kind of, you know, counterbalance the bad poems that I have to read. <laughs> representation, so I'm reading the guerrilla poems, you know, by you know, Salvadoran, um, you know, communists. Oh, um, cool. And so that's been kind of inspiring. Um, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's actually kind of crazy to see how little attention poets that, you know, we maybe know from whatever, you know, Twitter or the, you know, poet, like, you know, mainstream poetry circuits, like, have ever even said about, you know, guerrilla poetry, mm. and how it definitely kind of occupies like its own, you know, genre. Yeah. That, combines you know theory and praxis in like really really interesting ways because a lot of the people who you know are in this collection and i can you know send you a picture of it um yeah definitely uh yeah um died like mm. these are just poems that you know have been recovered from their bodies and stuff so this is like a very very real thing for the people who wrote these poems and some of them are alive but you know, a lot of them, you know, were literary, uh, um, you know, uh, they, they taught literacy, um, you know, for the Marxist guerrillas. Um, they were, you know, armed insurgents. They were literacy teachers. They were combatants. Um, so it's just so crazy to see these poems um, and then see like the chancellor of the Academy of American Poets or whatever is like some kind of <laughs> hack, no offense. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, no, that is interesting because it's uh, and it's interesting to to you know recognize and the way that people are engaging with poetry even in sort of the most acute uh, moments of political struggle they're turning to poetry. Um, I would assume to give you know that some of those poems I haven't read the collection that you're talking about, but I would assume that that uh, you know that they're sort of interfacing with the spiritual dimension of that political struggle um with their with their poetry to some degree and and yeah then to think about like like my own poetry in a, in a completely different context and, and try to understand like how like what what the fuck what the fuck am i doing you know when, I, when i'm writing these poems and what what the fuck are other people doing and trying to do um like what are we what are we getting at and how are we using these poems to yeah like exist in the world in a way that feels possible <laughs> yeah 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 and i think like i think the you know gorilla poems are kind of a perfect you know synthesis of this you know um spiritual need and uh you know because i feel like a lot of you know spiritual stuff is um kind of like inherently pacifist mm. uh inherently but um it's in in practice it's pacifist right um, but this is like, you know, th this collection is extremely spiritual and so many of it is, uh, um, you know, so many of them are just like, you know, if I should get shot in the head by one of the death squad guys, um, you know, I hope that this poem you know, carries my spirit and the spirit of struggle mm. uh, through through the ages, like until we're all free. Right. Yeah. So and, and another one, you know, is is like, you know, if I could, you know, um, you know, validate my poems in any way will be by, you know, killing fascists and <laughs> bringing my people. And like, that's the kind of shit that I'm like, oh man, you know, yeah. this is, you know, but, but then I feel weird writing about it, um, you know, in an academic sense, because like, what does the university do? It contains, you know, radicalism. Right. It, it re kind of, you know, formulates it so it can be acceptable to capital. Right. Uh, and so I'm, I'm kind of like battling myself right now how much I actually even want to write about these in my dissertation. Right. Because I, the last thing I want to see is some 
you know, uh, uh, Dean being like, oh, we're going to give you a grant because you wrote about the Salvadoran guerrilla poets. It's like, I don't think that's the spirit of struggle that they had in mind. <laughs> they <were writing. laughs> right. Like, yeah, to take those, those works that are like very, um, you, you know, like very tied to a, a real uh, an acute struggle and, and then, yeah, for it to just get reduced down to she was like, oh, look at this nice, nice artifact of the past. Um, nice. And yeah, it's it's so hard. Yeah, it's so hard to to protect art from that, you know, to some degree, like it, it, it gets so it gets subjected to like the that sort of like cultural, um, those cultural pressures. And yeah, you I don't know. I don't know how you how you I don't know what the right way is for me to respond to those poems, you know, as opposed to reducing them to some sort of academic like exercise or something like, but also like what, what else am I, what am I supposed to do with them? You know, right, because I want to understand them. This is my main method for how I understand stuff. So, you know, um, and I want to be able to, because nobody, you know, fucking reads this shit. Right. I'm like, okay, well maybe if I write about it in a popular context, maybe that could, you know, kind of bring that spirit to more people um you know in the u.s but then it's like oh shit am i just doing what kellen forche is doing that's so cringy in the first place you know what yeah, I mean? yeah 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 no yeah and i think that like that's the that sort of slipperiness of art of like what do you do with it and what is it for and how are you supposed to orient yourself toward it like that is i think that like mystery of it is kind of what makes it such a spiritual thing because like it doesn't the art itself doesn't really give a fuck <laughs> like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just something that people are going to keep doing no matter what you do about it um yeah. and that's always so interesting to me because yeah like I, I think you start to think about it and you start to try to be like what what should I you know what should I do with this art how should I respond to this to this poetry um or whatever and it's hard to come to a to a final and definitive answer, I think. Yeah, yeah, and you know, a lot of the the answers that feel final are, you know, you know, redacted. Uh, right. So, you know what I mean? so, so you know, besides that very obvious, you know, uh, you know, path. Um, right. <laughs> it's, it's it's hard to it's hard to think about ways because I feel like if I if I talk to one of these, you know, guerrilla fighters and was like, hey, I like love this work and I want to like get more people to read it, but I don't want to like reproduce the conditions of coloniality. They'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> show people the poems. Right. Yeah. 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 Art is such a funny fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but okay, so 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 as far as spiritual practice, um I want to just like frame my own, you know, responses to to the questions that we'll get into. Um, so, so I was raised Catholic. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, kind of like an like an apolitical Catholic. Um, neither one of my parents, um, uh, you know, graduated college, um, uh, and they are not, um, you know, super political people, or they weren't before I started getting annoying about it. <laughs> uh, so, so I was kind of raised with like this like vague framework of like guilt and deeds and you know sacrifice and whatever that you know kind of standard fare yeah uh, but it didn't have a particular you know kind of ideological connotation mm -hmm. so when i you know got over my atheist phase that i feel like uh, a lot of us <laughs> yeah and we were really annoying about it um uh i was like oh shit like catholicism can actually if you if you take literally you know only the things that are you know radicalizable or whatever right actually lead to some really cool stuff and then i you know discovered you know the radical catholicism of latin america you know and liberation theology so that's kind of where a lot of my stuff comes from is just like um you know let's recover the communist core of the practice you know, yeah essentially in the early church yeah no that's super cool um and that's sort of I have I've recorded one episode uh, last week um, that I haven't put out yet, but I'm probably going to put out here in the next couple of days. Um, yeah. But with a conversation with Lilia Marie Ellis, who uh, sort of oh. has 
taking an Anglican, uh, more Anglican like approach to spirituality and, and practice and stuff like that. So that was also interesting. Um, you know, another uh, trans person who was, um, you know, re uh, reevaluating their relationship to Christianity and sort of taking, you know, taking the things that could be, um, can be uh, applied to a, a radical, you know, left um, way of way of life. Uh, yeah. And so yeah, it's, that's it. Seems like uh, that might be might be a trend with people sort of getting back to their uh, childhood spiritual tr- traditions, but reworked in a way that um, that fits with uh, updated values. Yeah, totally. I mean, there was this weird moment when I was like, kind of so so my you know, parents could not give two shits about politics and it's, it's, you know, an inconvenience them to have to think about it. And I, I totally like understand that because they like work like, you know, five jobs between them and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I kind of remember them getting mad at me because I was never really quiet about, you know, being a Marxist and being communist and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and they were like, why are you like this? <laughs> why are you like, you know, basically like, you know, the spawn of Satan or whatever <laughs> we we stand for. I was like, you guys didn't stand for anything. But but anyway, and I was like, I'm just doing the stuff that you taught me in the way that I know how. Right. They're very like, you know, moral and ethical people. And they are, you know, very spiritual. My dad, especially through music and jazz and stuff, because he's a jazz musician. Oh, cool. uh, and my mom was a dancer um, and she taught the Rockettes and then she got injured and, you know, had to do, you know, clerical work for a while. Oh, wow. Uh, but, um, but, it's it's crazy to to talk to the people who basically instilled the stuff in you and they don't understand that you're applying it um in the way that they showed you like it didn't occur to them that this that that the kind of um you know spiritual practice of like um you know a radical you know kindness like an openness to people who are you know torn apart by the social structures could lead to being a communist <laughs> right yeah yeah or no, trans or non-binary or whatever yeah yeah no especially with christianity it's always interesting especially if you start to really like apply like any of the teachings of jesus that have to do with money and and the yeah. poor and things like that um a lot of christians are very um very taken aback by that um if 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 you start to you start to read out the woe to you who are rich woe to you who are well fed Um, book of james baby (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's that's interesting um and like so is is that something that you actively are like um like i guess with the christian framework from your childhood is that just something that you can when you're thinking about spiritual questions or spiritual um, ideas that you kind of reach for that framework, or is it something that you are more actively like applying in a, in a, in a rigorous way, I guess. Yeah, no, no, that's a great question. Um, I, so I think that um, I feel the way that a lot of kind of like complicated Catholics uh, feel, which is like, I'm not really choosing to use the framework. I don't have a choice in the matter. Like the Mm. framework, the way I think about shit and there's no point in trying to you know resist it mm-hmm. uh, but I think that huh, it's you know things like um you know the preferential option for the poor you know that, mm. that a lot of, um you know how, how, how like Marxist theologians you know have have you know articulated um that to me is super essential um and the fact that like so i think about a you know a guy like um uh, like cardinal you know ernesto cardinal Mm -hmm. uh, who who whose preferential option for the poor was so strong that he took up arms um wow yeah fought you know and so like my spiritual practice is constantly trying to like you know, remember that that is like a spiritual practice too you know that oh, like right. recognizing and going to um you know uh uh you know standing up for you know like like you know the the 
the precarious workers, um, you know, in my department, like that's a spiritual practice too. And right, like, right. Going to a union meeting and, you know, yelling at some administrators is like going to church in, in right. some way. Um, and so there's, there's this idea in Catholicism and it's in a lot of, you know, religions too, that like, um, uh, you know, wherever, you know, two, uh, two, two or more of you are gathered in my name, that's where I am is what Jesus said. Um, and so like, when you see this, it's, it, it's like an inherently collective, you know, moment and the, the spiritual part is created by the gathering. It's not right. like you have to go see the tabernacle and that's where, you know, Jesus actually is. It's, it's a product of, you know, collectivization essentially. Right. Yeah. It's in that like process of relating in that like yeah. con continual sort of process of, of relating to one another and, and like, um, yeah, it, being intentional about the way that we relate to each other and, and uh, pursuing justice, some, some, some conception of justice um, in, in those relationships. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And also like, like knowing that in the same way that there is, you know, um, you know, righteous, uh, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, God's, you know, righteous anger, there's also like a Satan, which, it, you know, fits kind of, you know, perfectly with the class structure, you know, right. Uh, and that these things are kind of like non-negotiable um, you know, aspects, you know, of spiritual, you know, and materialist practice. Um, and so, you know, I, I know that we all love to, um, you know, destroy binaries all the time, but there is one binary that I think is really, <laughs> really solid. And that's, you know, the bourgeoisie and proletariat. Right. Uh, and, and you can see that played out in say the book of James or say, in you know, a lot of the early church practices too. Right. Yeah. And even, yeah, you've got Jesus pretty definitively saying that rich people cannot ever go to heaven. He's like, can you send a camel through the eye of a needle? No, rich people can fuck off. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's like, there is this, like you said, a, a sort of really hard binary there um, between the rich and the poor and who, um, who receives God's favor in, in that binary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, the kind of acrobatics that, um, you know, church leaders and, you know, wealthy, you know, Christians and Catholics have had to do to intentionally misread that and turn that, you know, misreading into the dogma is insane. If you actually look at the kind of arguments that they they made um, about, like, the the importance of suffering so that you can earn your way into heaven in the afterlife, you know, there's a very, very strong argument to be made that what Jesus's death, you know, and resurrection did was to begin the instantiation, you know, of the kingdom of God on earth. And so, you know, a lot of, um, you know, radical Catholics have you know, taken up that idea and been like, okay, that's why we need to you know, overthrow capitalism, because that will be the instantiation of God's kingdom on earth is, you know, the, 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 the abolition of private property. Right. Uh, and the uh, you know total redistribution of the world's wealth right to the poor right yeah. yeah from each according to their ability to each according to their need most Christian sentence in the fucking world <laughs> yeah no that's cool um, yeah so you've been been accepting your uh, your Catholic indoctrination yep. <laughs> um, and and finding ways to to sort of be in harmony with it instead of opposition to it I think that's that's cool. Um, and it reminds me of uh, sort of the way that I've been trying to approach things, not, not as much with like embracing uh, my Christian past necessarily, but just with the idea of, of like, of acceptance of like forces that are, so, you know, kind of beyond, beyond your control and going, okay, but in, so instead of like resisting this, I can find a way to, to, um, move with this in in a way that's that's harmonious more harmonious um with the reality of the world around me yeah totally wait wait so so i kind of want to know more about your own you know spiritual practice and how that like you know kind of developed too yeah i mean um so for for now my my like the last couple of years uh my primary like spiritual practice has mostly been just like in meditation and been um uh i like to go especially outside and 
be around trees. Um, trees are like a huge, uh, a huge thing for me. For some reason, there's just like a connection. And I, and I actually have a friend uh, who hopefully uh, maybe I'll be able to get on the on the podcast at some point. But I have a friend who um, I was talking to recently, and they even uh, they're also very interested in trees and s- these sort of like meditation practices and stuff like that. And they talked about um, co-regulating with uh, with trees and sort of like uh, being able to you know climb into a tree and uh, and uh, I guess, yeah, like you're co-regulating. So you're, you're, you're taking your anxieties and, and instead you're kind of like um, noticing the, 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 the peacefulness of the tree and the acceptance of its surroundings and its circumstances of the tree and being able to kind of like um, enter into a, a, some kind of, you know, unity with that, that piece yeah. um, of, and uh, so it sounds pretty out there, I guess, but um not really. But, I mean, it sounds it sounds perfectly you know, <laughs> in a lot of ways. I think. Yeah. So, like, I, I like to go like before before this call. Actually, I was just on a walk and I went down to the little patch of woods um, near near my house and just kind of I turn on some like super drony ambient music or something in my headphones and uh, stare at a patch of moss or uh, just be around around the trees and stuff. I actually think that something that's been big for me lately in terms of those spiritual practices. And this is also connected to like some of the thoughts that I've been having about art and poetry and things like that is I've been like interested in escaping, like uh, you can't totally escape it, but to the degree that that's possible, like escaping um, semantic, like meaning, you know, escaping uh, lexical categories and um you know, I, I put out that asemic uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. chat book, which was sort of weird and experimental, and and I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, there's there's a I don't know if you have you read um, Edgar Allan Poe's um, his prose poem Eureka. Not for a very long time, so you're gonna have to refresh my memory. It's yeah, it's one that not a lot of people have have read, um, and it, and it's sort of like framed as uh, almost like a a cosmology paper and he like he you know he read it in public like almost as he was like as if he was presenting a scientific paper uh which at the time you know people were uh, coming up with sort of precursors to the big bang and they were they were presenting these cos- cosmological papers and he is um putting forth a cosmology not just of the universe of stars as he calls it but the whole universe, including all spiritual and material things that can possibly be imagined. Uh, and, um, and he says, uh, here, I've actually uh, got a passage from it here. He says, cool. he who from the top of Etna casts his eye leisurely around is affected chiefly by the extent and diversity of the scene. Only by a rapid whirling on his heel could he hope to comprehend the panorama in the sublimity of its oneness. Um, and that like idea of whirling on your heel on the top of a mountain, because if otherwise you're just looking at particular things, but if, if you whirl on your heel, everything gets blended into one blur. And he's like, that's what he's trying to get at with this, uh, with this prose poem is the, the like totality, um, as opposed to the individual things. And, um, which also reflects, um, like, I don't know if you've read, if, if you're familiar with the Tao Te Ching, um, but, um, you know, it says that the unnameable is the eternally real naming is the origin of all particular things. And, um, so I've been, that's, that's where my head has been at is, is like in this idea of like, okay, like I have existed for most of my life in this world of naming particular things and, my head gets kind of caught in a it it just gets you get you get so anxious like in the world of, yeah. of named particular things and um and so i've been with my meditation and then somewhat with some of my art practices and stuff trying to explore um what it's like to just not just not name anything and, and, and try to experience the totality of everything and sort of like um, a feeling of, of being part of that totality rather than being a particular thing that is separate from 
the other things around me, if that makes any fucking sense. <laughs> yes, no, that's fucking sick. And, and, and I have a lot of thoughts about that. One, it uh, is kind of, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, flipping the Christian ethos kind of on its head because, you know, like, you know, in the beginning was the word, right? So the, right. the first thing that, that God does. And this is like, okay, we've named a bunch of shit and it's resulted in a ton of violence and like, you know, kind of overwhelming human suffering. So like <laughs> let's kind of pull back and like think about uh, the actual, you know, totality of the things before we just like, you know, uncritically accept the way that they've been categorized. And that to me is super interesting, especially in the 19th century, because we have this birth, you know, kind of like, you know, modern science, right. um, uh, you know, categorizing, you know, in taxonomy in the way that's been taken up in race science and colonialism. And so these, um, you know, kind of micro, um, you know, maneuvers to name and, uh, you know, define every single thing has really resulted in a lot of bad stuff in the same way you can argue that like, well, you know, vaccines are important because like you, you name and you understand things and how they kind of, you know, connect. Right. So does like, you know, skull measuring. Um, right, right. And fucked up shit. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say was um, uh, it, it really reminds me of the best parts of Whitman too. Um, mm. Like I have um, a lot of problems with Whitman. My, my, you know, my <laughs> own research kind of you know, starts out with a critique of Whitman as an imperialist. Uh, right. As, you know, uh, you know, cheerleader for the annexation of Mexico, et cetera. Um, but sometimes he hits on the same shit that you were just talking about with Poe. Yeah. Like cosmic totality that is pre-linguistic, that is uh, pre-political pre in some ways, um, and, um, you know, totally relational. Right. Uh, and that I think is super cool. And in the same way that you have been thinking about, um, you know, kind of um, trees and acemic poetry um, that that essentially just kind of you know captures an aspect of tree life, um, uh, as in like you get a shard of the totality of it in each you know acemic poem. Right. Uh, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about prepositions, mm. uh, and the kind of like I guess like I wasn't thinking about it in these terms beforehand but but now that we've talked about it like the spiritual power of you know prepositions mm -hmm. as in like I want to write a poem that's just prepositions oh yeah and that is you know spaced out in kind of like a rhizomatic way in the same way that tree roots would be or something right like that, yeah yeah you know what you've been doing but what is the function of a preposition to show the relationship between you know words but we always you know, focus on the words that are being, you know, shown and, you know, related to rather than the actual, you know, structure and process of that relationship. Right. So not to go like, you know, full Gertrude Stein, but I think it would be cool to write a poem that's just prepositions to um, basically show the, you know, kind of, uh, you know, background noise of the, the, you know, kind of language, you know, and process of naming that we do you know, kind of uncritically without thinking. Yeah, no, that is that is a super cool idea because, yeah, like prepositions are sort of crucial because you, you when you, you understand, you can understand like what a particular thing is to some, to some degree, but then understanding, to understand the relationship to it, like we're, we're using these prepositions, uh, you know, that, that we've been handed by the language that we happen to like grow up with or whatever and to be more aware of those and and uh understand what the relationships are between between things is pretty pretty crucial i, I think uh to having to to just like being conscious of the way that we're uh categorizing the way that we're describing the things that is the thing um because i yeah i think that we we take language so for granted that we we assume that it is just an accurate reflection of reality but it's a it's a specific representation of reality you know it's not it's not like a you can never have a a, a, a totally universal totally comprehensive like description of reality just with the the symbols that are available to us in language um so yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I would definitely love to see 
see what you do with that preposition thing. Yeah, cool. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll send you if I ever actually get time to, you know, try to make it happen. But yeah, and it's like, it's, it's even like, um, you know, the, the structure of like at least English, um, uh, like a horrible colonial, you know, violent language, <laughs> of, um, you know, kind of does, you know, structurally parallel class dynamics too. I think of like, what, what are prepositions, but the working class of language, um, where like they do all the work to connect and make sense of everything. And then we, you know, just focus on beautiful verbs and beautiful nouns. Right. right. Um, so there's this kind of, you know, repression going on too, which I think is why a lot of, you know, um, I don't want to say a lot, but th there's a kind of subterranean you know, tradition of um, communist poets really being interested in parts of speech, like I think of like mm. Jordan's, you know, book This and Which. Um, it really focuses on, um, you know, demonstratives and, you know, linking verbs and things that we normally don't even pay attention to. And it's not like explicitly political, though some of the stuff is, um, but it, it, uh, it does kind of bring to the fore the idea that there is, um, you know, an oppressed class of parts of speech. You mm, know? Interesting. Yeah. No, that that is that's cool, and it's and it's interesting also because uh, you know you you mentioned that communists in particular like sometimes take take this interest in parts of speech, and I think that like curiosity, that kind of curiosity, really is at the core of communism and it's at the core mm -hmm. of you know marx's approach is like okay well like wait a second what is really going on when i buy a commodity like what what the what the fuck is is happening exactly what is being exchanged what is being represented in that uh in that commodity and in that social relation and things like that and then to you know extend that curiosity to language and the way that we um describe the world to each other whether that's just through everyday speech and conversations like this or through poetry or, or what have you, um, that, that curiosity is so central to being a radical, I think. Oh, totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's honestly insane to me how um, the kind of telltale sign when like, you know, like a Marxist academic or someone has like lost their edge is when they stop being curious about just kind of weird shit in the world. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and they like really kind of, you know, focus in on, um, uh, you know, the insular world of Marxist mm. fighting. And I think there's, you know, I like a lot of the value form, you know, theorist guys, but, you know, some of them definitely get get into this kind of like, you know, minutia, of, right. um, you know, technical, um, you know, the way that, you know, if we talk about, you know, like, well, actually, like a union is reifying the category of labor that Marx would, yeah, but of course, but in, of course, but in his fucking life, he went and did stuff. You know? um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes that, yeah, it becomes about like coming to a final correct conclusion rather than about engaging in the actual processes of, of life in a way that, you know, points towards a better future. And that was Marx's whole point was like, let's not get bogged down in figuring it out like let's figure it out so that we can change it right right exactly and 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 you know this this part of marx has kind of had had its you know problems and stuff but i really love the idea that he never you know drew up a you know perfect society diagram for right. everyone to follow i mean um the kind of you know radical openness of that um, that that critique will necessarily lead to the articulation, you know, of its negation or something like that. Right. It's a beautiful idea that like criticism is not this like you know negative, you know, destruction or destructive, um, uh, you know, process uh, when we tear down all the institutions and then <laughs> nothing left. It it will if you are you know, critiquing properly, it will show you the way. It's actually right. a very spiritual. Um, uh, you know, idea that like the practice of you know, understanding through critique shows you the world that, you know, should should exist or should, you know, emerge through our collective work. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. I think that, yeah, like, yeah, Marx is trying to become aware and trying for, you know, to lead other people to become aware of the processes that are going on on a social level beyond their control so that then 
they can, you know, take take some parts in in shaping those for the future and and deciding what what matters and what's what's possible. How can we uh, how can we build something better for ourselves and for the people that are going to come after us? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I think you know, in in you know, something like a university setting, um, that that gets really tricky because um, universities are constantly trying to negotiate. Um, between, you know, gestures towards decolonization and diversity and all this other stuff um, that's, that's good, kind of objectively, I think. Um, but also, well, the very structure of it depends on, you know, uh, wild class oppression and they're all fucking racist too. Right. So, so it, it's this kind of, it's, it, it's very easy for, you know, a lot of academics, you know, like however radical their ideas might be to refuse to apply that kind of, you know, curiosity and that kind of, you know, desire to you know, understand through critique of their own institutions and their own, um, you know, position within, you know, that social hierarchy. Right. So you see so many, uh, you know, books come out and some of them are very good, uh, but, but they, they, they offer this really kind of, you know, like a term that I used kind of because I, I'm also an academic, uh, you know, like a radical openness and everything, except like, uh, you know, the adjuncts are not supposed to, you know, organize, you know, right. radical <laughs> openness and we can have, you know, uh, the most oppressed person in the world, like oppressing us and that's progress. But as soon as, you know, the, um, you know, the black custodians like decide to start organizing, then that's somehow a threat to the professionalism of the university or something like that, because what we shouldn't see you. you right. Know, you're supposed to go away so that we can present the oppressed people, you know, of our choosing, you know, on our terms. And you're right. not allowed to talk with that. And that's kind of the way that I think a lot of, you know, Marxist critique gets kind of you know, sucked up by the academy and defanged and then pushed back out. Right. Yeah. Critique just to the point where it's not going to create any risk or, you know, yes. cause, yeah. cause any upset to yeah, our defense contracts or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, def the one thing, the most important thing is the defense contracts. Yeah. <laughs> like, How are we going to pay the adjuncts without the defense contracts? Defense contracts. That's, that's, that's all you need. If you, if you yeah. got defense contracts, nothing else matters. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh man. And you can't build a bomb out of poems. So we're, you know, always fighting that <laughs> losing battle. There you go. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what it all comes down to. You can't build a bomb out of poems, yeah. but, but if they, if they could, they would. A lot um, of poets would love to be able to do that. <laughs> that that's true. Uh, yeah, there's 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 poets out there that would love to have their have their poem on a bomb, like on a bomb, printed on the side of a of a Lockheed Martin something. Yeah, fucking like <laughs> NATO uh, <laughs> you know, or something. <laughs> a poem, a poem about freedom, uh, printed on the yeah. side of a bomb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although I think they're more likely to put like, you know, like a dead radicals poem on their bomb. Oh, like, God. Like, or something. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. want to speak that into existence, though. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I'm starting now I'm starting to bum myself out thinking about it. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. No, that's that's cool, though. I, it's, I feel like we're uh, we're sort of thinking in the same direction on a lot of this stuff um, in our own in our own independent, uh, independent ways, which is, which is always fun to, to just chat about and see, see what other people, you know, are thinking about and how they're, how they're navigating all this stuff and, uh, kind of get, get some new ideas to, to throw into the mix for myself when I go on my little meditative walks. And now, now I'll be able to like, you know, think a little bit more in the direction of, of Catholicism, think a little bit about, um, guerrilla poetry and yeah um, yeah it's cool stuff and and you know the the other thing that, that that i've been thinking about just in terms of you know poetic practice is like i kind of want to just cut up a bunch of union contracts and turn them into poems mm. um like because i don't know sometimes when i you know when i read my own union contract and when i've read other people's that they've you know worked so fucking hard for it's like this language, as boring as it is in a lot of ways, it's dumb, you know, legalese and, mm -hmm. you know, it has, you know, management's paw prints all over it. Um, 
but like people really struggle to get those words. And so just to kind of end, uh, you know, on the opposite thing mm. of like, you know, the, the asemic stuff, I think is really important. But I also think that the words that have been fought for in a very, very literal and material sense can also be, be poetry too. Oh, definitely, uh, definitely. Yeah, and so like, why not, you know, uh, you know, raise up the union contract to the level of poetry or literature. It certainly is. It's collectively authored. You know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, it's, it's, you know, some of the sentences, you know, e even if they're cold and, you know, legal language, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, signify beauty and better conditions for a lot of people's lives. Right. What, isn't that what poetry is supposed to do? Like, ideally? Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. I've never thought about like that before, but obviously to some degree, like, those agreements are uh, or within them is like the objectified you know struggle of 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 workers over time they you know that's that's the result of of the labor that they've put in to to fight for themselves and and for their co-workers um so yeah. modified it's just you just give out the contract you know uh, <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah no no and, and obviously even though saying you know that i'm constantly trying to escape the trap of language and all this shit i also love to write love to write words of course, um, yeah. and and they do have a really significant power i think um i think we sometimes get mixed up about what exactly that power is yeah. um and and it's hard to at least for me hard to like definitively articulate what exactly that power is um but I think that, yeah, they, they obviously are an incredibly useful um, tool for both for building a, a radical, like collective future together by, uh, you know, creating some sort of like shared understanding and, and shared um, like way of uh, way of understanding our roles in production and exchange and, and all of the social relations that are built on top of that, but also like on a on a personal level and, and on a spiritual level and on a um, on an emotional level, like being able to um, in, take take those those parts of ourselves and um, represent them in language, obviously, can have a huge um, a huge benefit, um, whether that's you know therapeutically or politically or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the the, the conclusion is that we have to be dialectical about it. And so your asemic poems and my union contract poems <laughs> published together and read uh, like as one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's that's exactly right. It's, it's all about balance. It's all about like timing. It's all about, yeah, that dialectical understanding that everything is in constant like transformation. Everything is in constant motion and being able to identify what is necessary at this point in, in time and, and in space um, and being able to, yeah, answer each moment appropriately, whether that's with with silence or with words. Yeah, yeah, process and relation. I think that's uh, those are the key words of a good a good po you know poetic and spiritual you know practice. Definitely. Well, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to to chat today. I, I enjoyed it a lot, and um, hopefully we'll be able to do it again sometime. Yeah, thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. Um, Absolutely. We can do it again sometime. Awesome. Well, uh, have a great day. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you, Bye. Bye.